0: all right welcome everybody to the podcast collection it's uh terry doherty with the OIAA and wp radio this is one of my last podcasts for 2021 uh looking forward to a little bit of rest and relaxation as we get through the holidays here as we gear up for our 2022 uh, podcasts so guys sit back and relax enjoy this i've got uh Jason and Nino on from Xpera Investigations, part of SCM group of companies. You're going to enjoy this podcast. It's fantastic. We talk about uh, Anton Pillar orders, intellectual property, pixelation, taking people out of videos uh, as part of their pixelation services. Just some really interesting stuff that a lot of people probably don't know on the day-to-day work that uh, Xpera does. These guys are fantastic. They've been in the industry for over 25 years. So guys, just sit back Relax and enjoy this. Welcome everybody. It's Terry Doherty. It's the OIWA uh, podcast here. It's WP Radio. I want to welcome our special guest today. We have uh, Jason Dumbreck, uh, senior vice president of Eastern Canada with Expera, and I also have Nino Calbrezi, director of investigations out of the GTA. Uh, welcome, guys, to the podcast. Thank you, Thank Terry. You, Terry. Yeah. Glad, to be, glad here. to be here. I understand we're going to talk about Anton Pillow orders and uh, intellectual property um, and kind of all the things that kind of encompass that. And and for most people, they don't know really what that is, but we'll get into that a little later. Uh, Jason, why don't we just talk a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Expera and kind of what you do?
1: Yeah, thanks, Terry. Yeah. Um, so I've uh, I was actually first licensed back in 1995. So I've kind of been at this for a while now. Um, I started my career uh, in the field on the road chasing tail lights um, and uh, and just sort of built it from there. That that goes back to the King Reed days. Um, Spent a lot of time uh, with with corporate crime investigation, uh, intellectual property rights, uh, and then kind of moved through the organization organically into some management, senior management, partnership, and uh, that's what brings me uh, to where I am now. And uh, you know, it's been a fascinating and fun career. I always tell people if they're interested in private investigation, it's uh, it's an exciting job. Every day is different, and uh, you know. It, round it up sometimes is just saying it's not really a grown-up's job because uh it can be a lot of fun on a on a daily basis
0: that's awesome what about yourself nino i know you've been around a long time
1: yes that's
2: another way of saying i'm old so you're right about that terry
0: (laughs) but i think i know you've
2: been around just as long or just about as long so yeah yeah. so there you go but uh, uh well my background's a little diverse um I actually, believe it or not, uh, was into acting at some point in my life, and studied uh, acting. Went to Ryerson, did a little bit of uh, acting on the side, and uh, tried to make it a, a living. And it didn't uh, didn't work out all that great, <laughs> but uh, um, it was still a lot of fun. And some of the uh, some of the skills, I guess that I that I learned back in in, in the days. Of uh, of attending Ryerson, uh, I applied today, uh, and I have applied it to uh, to various undercover investigations that I've done, and uh, I just use it whenever I need to uh, when uh, when working files that require it. Um, but from there, I got a job eventually. Going fast forward uh, to uh, to loss prevention, and did about three years of store security, where I learned a lot about uh, handling evidence, uh, attending court, providing testimony. Uh, again, it was just a lot of great skills that I can still use to this day and apply it to what uh, what I do every day. Uh, from there, I ended up getting another job at an investigation firm, became a, a supervisor of surveillance services before eventually finding my way to this unknown company called King Reed Associates run by a couple of guys named Mark Reed and Brian King. And uh, uh, soon after that, I again I, I was promoted a number of times. Eventually, I became one of the managing partners uh, and uh, retired in December 2014 after a very long uh, career. Um, and I was off for a couple of years uh, and was asked to come back. Uh, they brought me back as director of investigations in Toronto. And here I am today.
0: Well, Wow. Both have had a long run and both starting at King Reed is kind of funny because, you know, uh, before we kind of got on the talking today, we were talking about the old days, which always involved King Reed. So it's funny how things have kind of morphed, but you know, how big the industry is, but how small it really is at the end of the day.
1: That's right. That's right. So, and, and,
2: you know, we, we still are King Reed. I mean, it's still the same company that King Reed got acquired, uh, And uh, so uh, we're still we're still the original bunch uh, and with uh, with a few extra people.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just a few. Just Um, a few. (laughs) uh, Let's let's dive right into it. So let's talk about Anton (laughs) Pillar Orders. And I mean, not a lot of people are actually going to know what they are. So maybe you want to give a little bit of a background on them and uh, and what they do and how they're used by your firm on behalf of your clients.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so it, it's a uh, Anton Pillar order is a, a civil remedy that, um, you know, it's it's the lawyers that that put it together and present the evidence to a uh, trial to, in order to acquire one of these uh, remedies Our our piece in it is to help acquire that evidence. Um, and then with that evidence, lawyers are, you know, if they're able to go before the courts and establish a fairly strong prima facie case um, and and convince the court that there's evidence at, at risk of flight or destruction um, and there's some other uh, elements that need to be established I, I'm not a lawyer but that's certainly you know we help getting that evidence and and it, it allows what it does allow is um, is counsel and and our clients to gain access to a property where that evidence may sit and and again the idea is to seize it before it can be destroyed. Or at at uh, at risk of flight. So when we when we participate in this, our role is typically um, on the day of the order is to document um, by way of video pre and post search. We'll assist with the search. Um, but the interesting thing about this particular mechanism is it, it you know in the in terms of sort of civil law, it's kind of like the an atomic bomb and. Um, you know, they're, they're difficult to get, but what we can assist with is the video pre and post search. Uh, we can assist with the search. Um, you know, we understand our role there. We understand uh, the the purpose of the independent solicitor that's a, that's a supervising solicitor that's on site, which is effectively, um, uh, a lawyer that's representing the court. And we've had some, we've had some interesting cases over the years, uh, Uh, Being part of these execution of the orders, Um, you know, there's uh, one case in particular where uh, it was on behalf of a life and health uh, company where there was some some vendor. uh, I I don't want to use the word fraud. There was there was an investigation on a on a vendor, and uh, we eventually executed order on the owner of the vendor's uh, or the vendor's property and uh through there we were able to assist in the seizure of evidence that was that was paramount um to the insurer's case and uh it was quite a successful uh outcome and and it's interesting um you know when you're when you're executing one of these orders the the different stuff that you'll come across uh you know in this in this particular case we came across a large amount of cash monies in a um in a suitcase that was Conveniently stashed in the uh, the cellar of the, the the residence, but we were one of our investigators did
0: find it. Stuff that you don't expect to be there.
1: Yeah, well, and and it's that's sometimes it can be hard to clean up. Uh, you know, a million plus in cash. You know, uh, to get it to get it into uh, the legal stream, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Wow. So let's. Uh, you you said a lot of big words there, and we're going to break them down because. We've got adjusters that are new to the industry, and we've got people obviously that have been around for a while and they're gonna know what an ISS is. So when you talk about independent supervising solicitor, you're talking somebody that's appointed by the court. So they're independent of both the plaintiff and the defendant. They're just there as the eyes and the ears of the court. Correct. And and their role on that day is basically to make sure the order's enforced properly and you know that the you know, the video is being done to show that there's no dis- destructive um, destruction taking place to property while you're doing your, your search. Correct. That's right. Yep. Okay. So um, let's talk about, um, you know, getting consent to enforce this APO or the 10 the Anton pillar order. So when, before we got on, you were talking about like, the person has to give you consent. So what happens in a case where they don't give consent um, to get in and to actually enforce this order? So that's, uh, well, us as
1: investigators, we uh, uh, typically um, stand down and, and wait and and let the lawyers uh, do their role. And uh, it usually starts down the track of uh, a contempt of court. Um, and that's, that's sort of orchestrated by the lawyers. There's usually lawyers on site. And then there's lawyers that are readily available to be deployed to court to pursue that That uh, remedy. Um, But again, we'll, you know, in situations like that, we we have been asked uh, to maintain sort of a a perimeter, sort of, so to speak, on the house. We've been asked to follow individuals that leave the house um, and make sure that they get served with a copy of the order so they're bound by it. Um, And that can be tricky too, because, uh, you know, depending on um, the individuals with whom you're dealing with. They don't want to be served with that order because it restricts uh, and, and essentially holds them accountable for any sort of activity that they engage in after that.
0: So if they don't accept the order or they don't accept the document they're trying to serve, so basically avoiding for the purpose of destruction of documents.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually another thing, like when we when we just serve the um, subpoenas in general or or court orders, statements of claim um, some people know it's coming and they don't want it and they'll avoid it at all costs um, I know uh, I know Nino you've done some adventurous stuff to get people served I've done the same thing I've uh, I, I will distinctly remember a blue, Subaru Impreza that almost ran me over as I was trying to get the uh, the court documents under his windshield wipers after he evaded, and then uh, of course the windshield wipers started and uh, there was court documents everywhere.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. What about yourself, Nino? Let's talk about some things you've done to to serve some people because that's always people always love these stories.
2: No, it's uh it's a lot of fun. I certainly find it a challenge to to uh, to locate people. Uh that's that's uh something that I, I really get a kick out of when especially when they try very hard not to be found. And, and those are the most rewarding, Terry, I find. But um uh going back to the Anton Pillar order, uh it's a very high bar that's set uh because it's very intrusive. I mean, you know, we're walking into people's homes and and conducting these searches. So they're not given out uh, sort of willy nilly. There's a lot of homework that has to be done in advance of, uh, of actually serving the anton and going into someone's dwelling. Uh, a lot of it, uh, and I think we discussed this before, is that uh, one of the things that we do is it's not doesn't sound very glamorous, but you know we we go through people's garbage at times in order to get evidence. And uh, in one particular case that I recall. Was an individual. This wasn't an insurance matter, but it involved somebody who was suspected of stealing blueprints from their employer and manufacturing the the product overseas. And uh, they didn't have any evidence. They didn't have a place to start. So we started with the garbage, and sure enough, we found copies of the blueprint along with communication between him and his source overseas. And that was sort of the ticket that allowed the judge to grant the untom killer order that allowed us. To uh, when I say us, I really mean the legal team with us to go into this person's house to obtain even more information. and uh, uh, long story short, uh, it was a result of uh, of all of the w- work that we did uh, that uh, that resulted in a favor favorable uh, disposition for our, our clients. So you know, but going back to serving documents, oh my God, yeah, we've all had to do it. Uh, now, typically, we don't get involved in the straightforward document service because, quite frankly, were a little more expensive than than uh, document servers. Um, but where we get involved, it's where it becomes a little more difficult, where the person's invasive, or they've taken some sort of measures to, to basically uh, make it very difficult to be served. Uh, recall one in particular where we had to serve a, a very well-known boxer, we'll provide a name, but uh, all efforts to try to serve him just proved unsuccessful. And he was a little bit on the kind of, he had violent tendencies as well too. So some of the process servers were a little scared to serve him and we got involved and uh, managed to serve him. And uh, sure enough, he got very, very angry. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't me that had to do it. So, but the investigator who did do it uh, uh, ran very quickly away from the, uh, from the area after he <laughs> <you> served. So <laughs> so are you going? You're served <laughs> and
0: I, I'm a yeah. runner. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but yeah. you did say something there when you were talking about, um, Getting property, and you talked about going through people's garbage. And I always hear this question is it legal to go through someone's garbage? And I always say, call an investigator because they can answer that question for you. So, what is the answer to the question? Good
2: question. And it's come up. And, you know, there's certain bylaws in each jurisdiction, but basically, uh, according to the, I guess, if you're looking at it from a criminal standpoint, when you when you put your garbage out uh, on the curb for it to be picked up, you've basically given rights to that to that uh, to that garbage. Um, so you no longer own it. Uh, it's 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 there for the public. So, yeah, we have that's fair game. We can certainly go into it. And uh, as long as you're not trespassing and and, and that's very that's we want to make that very clear. We don't go onto people's properties. Uh, we don't go into their backyards. This is garbage that's been placed on the curb and, uh, and, and about to be disposed.
0: So you just drive along, pick it up, take it away, and move on? Yeah,
2: we like to make it sound a little more complicated than that. So there is a little bit of an art to it. So when we take someone's garbage, what we try to do is we try to replace it with garbage that looks very similar, right? So that when Joe Smith is looking out his window and he sees that everyone else's garbage is is still there, hasn't picked up, and his hasn't, you know, we don't want to draw any uh, attention to that. So we'll go out, we'll scope the area, we'll find garbage that looks very similar, we'll replace it. We'll take the garbage. We'll go through it off site somewhere. And, uh, um, a lot of times, it, and, and I know Jay, Jay's been through this before. Sometimes we're dealing with shredded material and that's always fun. Right. Wow. And you're trying to put the pieces of the paper together to be able to, to figure out what that document was. Uh, so, and you know what, uh, and we do it <laughs> and we've done it and you have Very successful with that as well too. We have
1: had success with that. You're right, you know, and it's kind of funny because we had a case blow wide open in terms of trying to find attachable assets. Um, This person was claiming that they had, uh, they had uh, no no way, no means of of satisfying uh, some judgments against them. But of course, the the lifestyle analysis just didn't add up. So, uh we grabbed the garbage and and of all the assets this fella had, he he went and bought the world's cheapest uh shredder. And so it it was tedious for sure, but thank goodness it wasn't uh a more sophisticated diamond cutter or anything like that and we were able to piece it together and we were able to isolate accounts uh that we then provided to the legal team and um, they were able to make some um seizure mechanisms that uh allowed them to Tie up those assets, so they cross-shred. That's right. That's you know they they, literally. That's right. If they had spent an extra fifty bucks (laughs) at (laughs) at Staples, they probably would have uh, been in a much better position. But the uh, the other thing around that garbage, an interesting case we had too, where uh, we grabbed the garbage exactly how Nino described, very uh, very non-glamorous. Got it back to the office. uh, Went through it and found that there was there was communications between the subject and their lawyer so um, you know the question becomes does does privilege survive discarded material and uh, we erred on the side of caution and immediately set it aside put it in a manila envelope contacted our client and um, it turns out the lawyers involved were, were, were quite happy that we did this because it was their opinion that uh, the privilege uh, would survive. Um,
0: discarded garbage yeah interesting mm-hmm. so it's so although you can obtain it you just can't rely on her to use it or disclose it
1: that's right like we didn't even we didn't even look at it or read it terry we just immediately could see that it was correspondence between our subject and a law firm and
0: we just immediately set it aside separated it it well wow, yeah that's fantastic that's excellent. So let's talk a little bit about liability investigations. Cause I, I know we when I talk to you guys and I and I love talking to your firm because it's really interesting, but let's talk about some stuff we really don't talk about a lot. And I mean, Anton Pillar's great intellectual property. Actually, let's talk about intellectual property um, because I know you guys do a lot of work with intellectual property owners. So let's kind of talk about that as well. What is yeah, intellectual we do. property? <laughs> let's talk about that.
2: Well, intellectual property is a is an idea thought a product that uh, that comes out of creation a creative idea and uh, there's certain protection that the law provides when you come up with the when you come up with an idea and you register that idea and uh, um, and that prevents other people from from stealing it or you know taking taking let's say the name that you've now attached to that product and using it for something very similar so, uh, there's some very strict laws if you do if you do step over the line and start using someone else's intellectual property. So we get called on quite a bit uh, either from the brand owner themselves and these brand owners are some of the big companies that you can just imagine a lot of the uh, um, fashion companies and sure. uh, electronic companies. there's just a whole list of them uh, that, that care very deeply about their intellectual property. Uh, so we'll get called in for a number of reasons, um including, uh, some piracy investigations. And I know Jay can talk to you about a lot about uh, some of the stuff that he's been involved in. I do a lot of the trademark investigations, and that includes a little bit of infringement work uh, and also just trademark usage. Um, it's just a fascinating field, and it's one that. Uh, that we look forward to. Uh, they, the, the community gets together once a year for this big annual general meeting, and it's taken us to places that I probably wouldn't have gone to. You know, Been uh, lots of great uh, AGMs where it's just a chance to sort of get together with the, our clients because they're all in one place at one time. So, a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun to, to work in that field.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about IPO. So, I, Internal Actual Property, um, Let's talk about, sorry, not IPO, but IP, IP. So intellectual property, we're talking about brand names, um, the use of a brand name or uh, reproduction of, say, a brand. Let's, you know, Oakley or Nike or Adidas or Louis mm-hmm. Vuitton, because those are the ones you see a lot of, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Counterfeits.
1: Counterfeits, yeah. right? So,
0: yeah. so you're hired by the company um, to actually do an investigation in towards that as well, then? um oh, about you know who did it how they did it is it is it that in depth or at, just who's doing absolutely. it absolutely
2: yeah oh, so really? so uh we we get caught call- yeah absolutely uh, we've been involved in a number of cases uh, counterfeit cases where it starts off with a buy typically okay so we go in undercover we'll make a buy uh, a lot of times when we're making the buy we're asking questions that may not seem they're imp- they're just regular questions but they're you know, we're asking them for a reason, like, "Oh, this is this is a great purse. I may need I may need to get a whole bunch of these for Christmas for all my." Uh, how many do you have on, you know, on stock, that type of thing? Um, so we'll go in, we'll make the buy, and uh, ultimately, uh, that product is sent back to the brand owner, who then verifies that it is a counterfeit product. Uh, from there, then usually there's a civil, uh, sorry, not a civil search, uh, but uh, it is a uh, cease and desist letter. So the The brand will create a cease and desist letter, and they'll ask us to serve it. Uh, So very often, we'll go in and we'll serve the C&D. And with that, uh, there's a a, a request to have them surrender the product to us. So I've actually gone to uh, malls uh, in, uh, I won't say where, but uh, there's certainly well-known areas in in the GTA that has sort of a reputation for for counterfeit product. And literally clean out their stores, like with with no product left after after we're done. Um, and and uh, you know the, the law sometimes isn't quite as um, fierce with these counterfeiters as as, it, as I think they should be. So uh, you know we don't see a lot of uh, jail time for them, although it's not uncommon. There there has been times where these people that uh, have been involved in selling these counterfeit products actually do go to jail, uh, which is very rewarding.
0: So this is a really interesting part of your work that most of the people who listen to the podcast would never even know about. I mean, IP theft and IP loss has got to be huge in the marketplace.
2: Well, it is, you know,
0: and I, am
2: very passionate, sorry, Jay, I was going to say I'm very passionate about it because a lot of people don't realize that when they're buying that counterfeit product, they're not realizing that they're, they're supporting um, potentially organized crime. A lot of times they're behind behind this, uh, they've actually followed the money all the way to Afghanistan and, uh, terror terrorist organizations, and this is how they make their money. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, things that people don't realize when they're buying these counterfeit products. And there's also a health and safety factor too. We've been involved in counterfeit batteries that explode. We've been involved in, um, uh, you know, electrical cords with the, uh, with the fake approval, uh, logo on it. all oh, the C- uh, it is, CSA stickers. It, it, That's right, in yeah, UL. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, UL. Actually, we've been involved in the case where we actually found out the person had a whole bunch of these stickers with them. And when we said, is this product approved? And is this product actually safe because we don't see the sticker? He opened up his drawer, pulled out a roll of stickers, and stuck one on it. So, uh yeah,
1: very <laughs> interesting. But,
0: it but is now. It's, it's safe more. now that I put the sticker on. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And what's interesting about that too, it, it's a good segue because that's important in that investigation and important in in uh, in all investigations, including our our surveillance work for for insurers is chain of custody. Um, we've had instances where you'll but you'll make the, the the buy and it's clearly counterfeit, and everybody uh, you know will agree that it's counterfeit. But you've got to you've got to be able to satisfy the courts that that's the same counterfeit that you bought in that store because the the I'll use the term bad guy the bad guy is going to say oh yeah that's counterfeit but that's not what I sold you and then you're you know you better have a very tight
0: oh, uh, very chain of custody
1: all the way back and that's that's similar with our video with our notes with with anything. Um, when we're presenting uh, or asked to give evidence in trial or mediation like that, that can be a um, for a sophisticated or a, an adventurous plaintiff's counsel. That's a good place to attack chain of custody
0: and get it set aside. So Jay, let's talk a bit about chain of custody. How do you guys qualify your chain of custody? Do you use like clear bags with uh, security stickers on them? Like soon you know, with a, maybe a hidden camera so you're constantly recording the interaction the product until you get out to an area where you can secure it is that like is those are things that we're you know you guys have to do or what do you do
1: yeah no that's exactly it terry it's it's all of the above it's your your when you're doing these buys you're running uh you're running covert audio and video um so that you can satisfy different elements identity and for instance who sold me this um and then uh, we do have uh, tamper-proof evidence bags uh, that have unique seal numbers. Uh, we have a, um, a locker that is designed specifically for evidence. So if you go to our Markham office, our Toronto office, we've had we've had off-site uh, storage as well uh, for some larger items and some big seizures that we've made. Um, and uh, so, yeah, like it's that chain of custody, it's, it's a series of notes, it's documentation, it's the video, it's, it's our field notes, which of course are made contemporaneously. At the time, this is what we did. So we make it very difficult for, for someone to start poking holes in that. And if they do poke holes in it, you know, that's not what you want to have happen. If all of a sudden you've got to set aside your
0: video or the actual buy that you did, because um, there goes the rest of the case. Well, wow, that's uh, I mean, it's, those are things that I never think about, obviously, because I don't deal in intellectual property claims. But what an interesting part of your work that I'm sure the majority of people wouldn't even know you do. Um, but I mean, for the people that handle uh, liability claims or litigation stuff from our for commercial clients, I mean, this is an avenue or a field. They should be aware of that you guys actually offer this service. I mean, because I'm sure I I do know of claims where people have sent insured's documentation saying cease and desist uh, because they've been literally, they've literally gone as far as um, remanufacturing something and photocopying the original documentation and just putting it in a box. Like they take with the original guy's logo on it. Yeah. Right. And. So I have seen it but uh, it's more in passing. I've never had to actually deal with it so really interesting stuff guys.
1: yeah I mean if you can if you can think about it, somebody's probably thought about counterfeiting it because uh, some of the margins on this stuff are are prolific uh, and the profits like nino commented on go into all sorts of nefarious avenues. And um, you know, like what you were talking about there, when you you know some of the the software, uh, the the digital software that allows you to manipulate um, images, three D printing. There's all kinds of new technology coming up that's making it easier and easier to counterfeit and making the counterfeits uh, significantly better. Like I know, even you know, over the last ten years, the quality of counterfeit that Nino and I have come across. Um, you know, it's, it's increased considerably. I would suggest.
0: Is it harder to detect?
1: Yes. Uh, we've had stuff, Nino, where, uh, we've had to send it to the brand owner because we're not an expert. We, we couldn't offer an, an opinion. I mean, based Based on layman's observations, we may be able to suggest that on a balance of probabilities, we believe this to be counterfeit. But we we really can't. I mean, it's that good. We need wow, the brand. We need the yeah. brand owner to say uh,
2: we we are trained, Terry, by the brand owner to to uh, to see to see what to look out for. Uh, there's certain there's certain signs that uh, that uh, we use that uh, we look for that helps us identify counterfeit product. But they're getting so good at it that, that we are not always 100% sure. And that's why we do send it to brand owners. And I've had brand owners, or I'm talking legal representatives for the brand owners, that they themselves will look at it and not know whether or not it's legit. So they have to do some testing on the product to confirm uh, whether or not it's a legitimate product. So yes, they are getting very, very good at it. And it makes our job a little bit more difficult. but. Uh, but still, we're able to uh, at least be able to deal with uh, the counterfeiters once we've confirmed by from the brand owner that the product is in fact counterfeit.
0: That's incredible. I mean, um, I, I know I've seen in the past people walking around with counterfeit Coach bags, and the mm-hmm. reason you know it, it's because Coach is spelt wrong. It's couch. <laughs> like they've got Coach bags on. Uh, I mean, Roach I gang. get that. Like that's just—I don't know who thought that would be funny. But people have bought it, and I'm not sure if they know they're wearing a couch bag as opposed to a coach bag. But, I mean, I get a chuckle, so I'm going, yeah, yeah, nice bag. But, I mean, I've seen some stuff where literally I've looked at stuff through investigations myself and went, man, I thought I knew this was real, but I'm not sure. And then you have to actually verify by invoice Mm -hmm. um, because it's so, so good. I mean, the stitching sometimes is a little off, and that's what makes you think it could be wrong on -hmm. some of these purses. Especially, I find it a lot on high-end ladies' purses and ladies' Mm -hmm. clothing, like it's the stitching or the, you know, there's no label in the back. And then they go, oh, no, it's, you know, I took the label off. Well, really? Why would you take off a label on a $9,000 dress? But okay, I'll I'll go with that. Now let's find (laughs) a receipt. Um, Well, you know, you're
2: right. You're right. I mean, there's no research and development that goes into their product. Their their goal is strictly profit. So they don't care about the quality of the product. They don't care that it's going to fall apart uh, a week after you buy it. Uh, They don't care that, uh, you know, there might be lead uh, paint, for example, that could create trouble if you've got young children chewing on it or something like that. They don't care. Uh, They just want to make the money and, and without any regards to safety. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting field, Terry. And uh, uh, again, you know, we, we do a lot of work in, in that area. Uh, of course, our, our bread and butter is, and uh, will always be insurance, and that's what uh, we're here for. But it's really a lot of fun. It makes our job uh, a lot of fun when we get involved in these various different uh, aspects of investigations, not just not just insurance work.
1: But that's yeah, interesting, okay. Terry. You've come across it as well, like uh, obviously with the investigating property loss. And no, oh, you know, here's, you know, Terry, I had my Rolex here. Well, was it a real Rolex? And you know, show me the, you know, to your point, all the receipts and and uh, ownership, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, date of purchase.
0: I, yeah, I I do remember one specifically, and I won't talk about the case in any great detail, but the serial number was for a watch that was only manufactured after 2019 but the bill of sale was 2015 so i Oops. was like man you got, you got, a, you got an amazing deal <laughs> you got a watch that hadn't even been built yet it's fantastic yeah um, so you know it, it's those kind of things but it but it, if, if it's just going through the regular adjuster it's not always seen and it's not always picked up on so it's that it's the specialty right and i and i think that's what i love about you guys is you're your specialty and stuff. I mean, um, let's talk about pixelation services. Cause you guys do that. And I, I mean, I love that part with Jeff and stuff. So let's talk about that because that for me uh, I've really enjoyed working with that department, your department uh, a lot in the last couple of years, since you guys brought this on board. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, sure. That's our XFS. So um, it, again, similar to, to trial prep, um, we're often asked to to take a look at the video, and for whatever reason, a client may want third parties pixelated uh, out of the video. And historically, uh, that's been a very uh, laborious undertaking. It it was it was almost frame by frame, um, so you can imagine the the time and energy that went into it. So. Um, Jeff Daw is our, is our lead video tech, and he, uh, he is uh, certified on some pretty sophisticated software that uh, creates a bit of an automation to that process. It's still, it's still a bit of an undertaking, but uh, it, it, uh, it's much more efficient uh, to have him do that now. And, and we get a lot of requests for that. So it's not just third party that, that, uh, that, that folks want pixelated. It's maybe uh, miners that are in the video uh, children, uh, they want those, uh, removed from the video so that we get a lot of requests, uh, and that's usually, um, leading up to trial. Cause there's a, there's a fair bit of, uh, cost involved with that. So, um, that's usually when we get asked to, to, uh, to pixelate.
0: Yeah. I, and again, I've talked to Jeff about this and I'll just bring up this. I've actually had Jeff enhance, um, it from being a, fisheye lens view to expanding it so you can actually do that and enhance the the not enhance so bring out the brightness in the video so what we saw was a shadowy figure in the background i could make out this guy's shoes his jacket what the guy was wearing i couldn't see his face unfortunately but i could see that we were able to gauge his height uh his shoes is basically what he was wearing. And it, I mean, he didn't alter or change the video in any way. He just brought out all the stuff that you couldn't normally see in it, which was incredible.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it. And, and if you've got one point of reference in the, in the image, he can, he can make those measurements through photogrammetry as well. And that's, that's kind of an exciting uh, um, option. We've also uh, used it. Um, on um, enhancing video, or sorry, enhancing license plates from a CCTV, um, particularly those those new plates that well, they're not new. They were stopped uh, by the by the government, but the the blue MTO plates that came out for a little. There's still enough of them running around on cars, yeah. um, And they do not reflect very well at all, um, even in the best of lighting conditions. So we've had a couple instances where we've had to enhance that
0: to try and actually get the, uh, the alphanumeric off the plate. Oh, interesting. I didn't know you guys could do that. So that's another, I knew you could do the license plates, but I didn't know you could do it with that plate. Cause man, even driving at night behind that plate, it's hard to read. Oh yeah. They're
1: almost invisible.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's good for the 407, I guess, um, but not for much <laughs> anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no guys, I mean, there's so much stuff that you guys do. I think, I think we should talk, and another day just on intellectual property loss. And I mean, I would love to have an adjuster on that you guys deal with that would be willing to talk about just cases on a more a macro scale of stuff that you guys have worked with or a client even that has worked on with you guys on cases uh, on a macro scale. So we're not talking about specific items, but what you guys have done for them or th- for them to maybe give you permission to talk about it. I mean it's it, it's really exciting stuff I it, you know, it's new. I'm I'm excited. This this is uh it's good good stories to hear and stuff.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. We'd love to do that. Uh there's certainly uh plenty of plenty of war stories uh particularly around that that line of work. You, Absolutely. Uh, you, you run up against some very very
0: uh interesting characters. And would you say it's mostly organized crime that you're looking at at that point? Because I mean, it's it's really in the financial crime sector. But are we looking at organized crime, or is it one off, or opportunistic, or what? Do you, what are you really looking at when you're looking at intellectual property? That's a great question. Um, we've seen all of the above. Um, mm-hmm.
1: It's uh, it, it's not unusual that it's that there is a uh, a link to organized crime. Um, They we've also just seen very, very uh, clever individuals, uh, you know, software coders that uh, that are able to do some pretty remarkable stuff with uh, encryption. And uh, if they use those skills to for the good things, they would probably be very, very successful. Um, But human nature being what it is, you know, they've they've chosen a different path, Um, but clever. Um, you know i know i've come across uh, uh, a lot of uh, very very uh clever individuals in the intellectual property world that have uh, uh, they've structured their crime very well they've structured their business uh, they've anticipated that at some point someone's going to knock on their door and ask you know them to stop and 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 pay some sort of uh restitution and they're prepared for that They've even set aside a, you know, a settlement fund, you know, it's kind of like, come on into the kitchen table and uh, let's, let's talk numbers. Get me out of this.
0: Wow. Yeah. I I know I've seen like the, some of these malls that have the $1 DVDs of movies that are still in the theater. Like we've yep. all seen those, but those are more mom and pop, right? You would, agree, those are kind of more people that are opportunistic trying to sell a, a couple of crappy DVDs these but i'm i mean we're talking high end stuff here that you're talking about
1: yeah this this uh, some of the the encryption and the software um it's yeah it's not uh it's not motion pictures it's, yeah yeah so it's it's a little bit of a different uh a different snack bracket some people have made
0: uh a, a, an awful lot of money well guys i think we've covered a lot today and i appreciate both your time for doing it and uh, I definitely, we got to get you back on the podcast at another time, but I, I do appreciate you both Jason and Nino for taking time out of your day and uh, telling everybody, uh, you know, some of the other services that Expera provides, but how, if they needed to contact you, what's the best number to reach you at guys?
2: You can, you can contact us by email at investigations at expera.ca would probably be the best. And uh, there's a lot, lots of eyes on that Gary. So we'll all see it.